From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life, religionforlife.com. I'm John Schuck. Religion for Life explores the intersection of religion, politics, social justice, philosophy, sexuality, spirituality, and more. Religion for Life is a half-hour weekly show that is free to stations and is uploaded on podcast every Sunday morning at 11 Pacific time. Find Religion for Life wherever you find podcasts, including iTunes, Stitcher, Podomatic, TuneIn, Pod Directory, and more. The website for information about shows and links to podcasts can be found at religionforlife.com. I'm grateful to WPVM Asheville, North Carolina, WEHC Emory, Virginia, WETS Johnson City, Tennessee for carrying Religion for Life. Thanks also to KBOO Portland for hosting the program. I received a nice email the other day from Wayne Winkler, station manager at WETS. The listener wrote to Wayne and said, quote, Even though I fall into the conservative Christian camp mostly, I enjoy listening to John Shuck on Religion for Life. I do not believe a lot of the things he does, but he does make me think and look at my beliefs from another perspective, end quote. And that, my friends, is what Religion for Life is about, the goal is to mess with your head. Love to hear from you. Email me at religionforlife at hotmail.com. Today's guest will mess with your head. I've had guests on Religion for Life from all over the board regarding God. Believers, agnostics, atheists, post-atheists, deists, non-theists, and on we go. They've taken positions, claiming their position is, uh, well, more correct than the other person's. Yes, there is a God. No, there's not a God. I don't know if there's a God or not. According to Dr. Steinberger, they all have something in common. They are all wrong. The concept of God, he says, is incoherent. It makes no sense. We cannot even talk about it. We must believe that something caused everything, and we must not believe that something caused everything. So it's impossible to imagine the world um, that wasn't caused by something, and it's impossible to imagine that there was a first cause, and so we are literally stuck, and that's called the human condition. That's the limitations of human cognition, and there's, um, to my knowledge, no way around that. Peter Steinberger is the Robert H. and Blanche Day Ellis Professor of Political Science and Humanities at Reed College in Portland. He's the author of several books about philosophy and politics, including The Idea of the State, The Concept of Political Judgment, Logic and Politics, Hegel's Philosophy of Right, and Ideology and Urban Crisis. He's written articles for The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Christian Science Monitor, and other general interest publications. In his latest book, he takes on the topic of God. It's called The Problem with God, Why Atheists, True Believers, and Even Agnostics Must All Be Wrong. And he offers the challenge to prove him wrong. With me in the KBOO studio is Peter Steinberger. Welcome to Religion for Life. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, it's actually not my latest book. I have a book after that. You do? Oh, <laughs> I really do. It has nothing to do with God or religion. So. Okay. Well, what's the title of your latest book? It's called The Politics of Objectivity, and the subtitle is an essay on the foundations of political conflict. All right. So politics and philosophy that's are That's what I reviewed. usually do. This religion book is the exception. Well, that's what I was wondering. How did you see the need to write a book about God's existence? Uh, well, as I say in the book, 
way back when, when I was young, I had this kind of epiphany. I start the book with the description of my epiphany. It was an idea, and it's been brewing around in my mind ever since. Um, in a certain sense, I'm here under false pretenses. I'm not a <laughs> professor of religious studies. I have no credentials. I have no expertise in that area. Um, I do, as part of my teaching responsibilities at Reed College, do teach religious materials, but uh, it's basically not what my expertise is. Um, but I had this idea, and it's been brewing around in my mind for a long time. Uh, recently, there's been this explosion of literature, the new atheism, Sam Harris uh -huh. and Christopher Hitchens and all that kind of thing. And I had some familiarity with that. And um, it kind of annoyed me because I had my idea, and all this stuff was not very consistent with my idea, and my idea seemed to be a good one, so why hasn't anybody thought of this? I assumed that they would have. I didn't find it, so I thought I'd write it up. Well, your idea, I'll just put it this way, it seems to be kind of... Uh what we know, even as kids, uh, children seem to be aware of the problem. Uh, they ask mommy who made the world, and mommy says, well, God made the world, and little Sally says, well, who made God? And mommy says, well, nobody made God. God always was. But mommy isn't right, is she? Yeah, little Sally's right. Little Sally's uh, yeah, right. Little Sally's right. She's got the, her intuitions are right on the money. Okay, And so um, we spend a lot of time hiding, perhaps, from those intuitions. But I think we ought to be uh, aware of them and confront them and understand them. In fact, I am uh, the adult version of little Sally and trying to explain to mommy why she really agrees with her daughter. So why is mommy wrong? My argument is, in a certain sense, very, very simple. Um, it's rooted in the notion. My premise is that human beings, as we operate in the world, think in terms of cause and effect. Mm -hmm. And um, thinking in terms of cause and effect means we see stuff in the world, and we see something caused that to exist, causes um, e uh, precede effects in time, and um, nothing exists that hasn't been caused to exist. Okay? Um, the problem then is how to explain God. Okay? Well, God presumably is the first cause, the first, the first mover, the unmoved mover, as Aristotle said right. and so on. Um, but then um, little Sally asked the question, well, where did God come from? If God exists and everything that exists has been caused by something else that's prior, well, then maybe God something's prior to God, something caused God to exist, in which case, by the way, if something caused God to exist, then in a certain sense, God is not God. Something's more important, bigger than God. So, well, there's a God that caused God to exist. Well, who caused that to exist if the first God exists? And so on ad infinitum. And there is no answer to that question. Uh, the question is ultimately, the question produces a kind of incoherence, what I'm calling a conceptual impossibility. Um, we must believe, in effect, that um, something started all of this. There must have been a first cause because everything exists and something must have caused it to exist. Mm -hmm. But if that first cause existed, something must have caused it to exist, and therefore there cannot be a first cause. There must be a first cause. There cannot be a first cause. Um, our minds cannot wrap ourselves around that. There is no coherent conception that can make sense of this problem. Literally, no coherent conception that can make sense of this problem. So the argument is God, as usually used, is a deeply and profoundly incoherent idea. There is no such idea. It looks like an idea, but there is no such idea. And, you're, and that's different than saying there is no God. I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay. 
when you say there is no God, I don't think you're saying anything intelligible. That's the uh, argument. There's no such concept. There's no such idea. You can mouth the words, okay, mm-hmm. but um, uh, it is it is not intelligible to say that God exists. There is no such idea. You're not you're not referring to anything. So that idea then, uh, back to mommy's answer, that God is just kind of always is is infinity itself, the ground of being or whatever, doesn't work either. What caused it to come into being? Okay, so there has to be something that caused, and you can't just back out and say nothing. We we believe if something exists, it was caused to exist. Yeah, and we and therefore there must have been something before it. Must have been something before it, and there's no coherent account of that. So there is no idea of God. There's no intelligible idea of God, and therefore, um, to say uh, uh, as an atheist might say that he or she doesn't believe God exists. Again, I don't know what that person's talking about. Okay, so when atheists read your book and say, well, you're kind of on our side, you'd say not necessarily. Absolutely not. I think atheism is as incoherent as theism. Neither of them makes, literally as incoherent, neither of them make any sense. To assert or to deny the existence of God is to assert or deny the existence of something that I don't even know what you're talking about. There is no concept there. Um, I, uh, I use one example, and that is the example of in Euclidean geometry, um, a triangle whose internal angles add up to less or more than 180 degrees. Well, I don't know what that means. A mm. triangle whose in mm-hmm. it's not that such a thing cannot exist, it's that there is no idea of such a thing. There, there, there is no conception. And therefore to say that it doesn't exist um, misses the point. It, you, you, I contrast yeah. this, for example, I contrast God with Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. So I agree, Santa Claus can't exist because Santa Claus is impossible. But I know what I'm talking about. I have an idea of what that is. I guess I can imagine a universe in which maybe Santa Claus could exist. In mm-hmm. our universe, it's impossible, physically impossible. You couldn't have a little chubby man on a sleigh riding around, distributing millions of presents over a period of a few hours and eating all the cookies and, and milk. That's impossible. But I understand what it is that's impossible. Um, God is not like that. Um, a triangle with internal angles of less or more than 180 degrees is not like that. There are tons and tons of examples of things that are not like that. Um, another example that I use is the idea of, ju- of weighing justice yeah. in pounds and ounces. What could that possibly mean? What would you put on the scale? This is an incoherent notion. So um, I, I advert in my book to um, a passage in Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan. He writes about the idea of a round square. And he says there's no such idea as a round square. This is incoherent. So if you talk about a round square, this is not something that cannot exist. You're just uttering mere noise. It's mere sound. There's no idea. So there's nothing to affirm and nothing to deny. That, anyway, is my thought. So it's kind of ridiculous questions like, could God make a rock so big he couldn't lift it? Kind of those kinds of nonsense kinds of things. Is that what you're talking about I, when we I, speak I, of God I, I at all? I guess I think God in that sense is a nonsense term. Nonsense term. It's noise. Yeah. Um, well, you use the term um, apoplectic to describe your attitude. What, what is that? Yes, it's a word that I think I invented. Okay. Is that not apoplectic? It's aproleptic. Aproleptic. Okay. Aproleptic. Aproleptic. Oh, simply is a is a is a word deriving from the Greek, which means no concept. Okay. So that's prolepsis would be the idea of a concept. So aprolepticism. This is not atheism. This is not agnosticism. This is aprolepticism. There is no such concept there. So I think I invented that word. If I didn't, um, at least I thought it up on my own. If somebody else has used it, I was not aware of that fact. <laughs> so agnostics don't have it either. Just you can't say I don't know about the existence of God because again, that's 
that's on nonsense. You use a term, I think you just invented one, like bloopsklick or something like that. Right. That, that, that has no... Saying you don't know where Bloopslick exists doesn't make any sense either. I think I can make my criticism of agnosticism even clearer than that. And let me mm. give you an example. Because I've had friends read my book and say, well, this is just a form of agnosticism. Mm-hmm. And um, if you read my book and get that, you've missed the argument. So here's how it goes. Supposing I ask you who's going to win the big game next week. Do you have knowledge of who's going to win the big game next week? And you say, no. I say, why not? Because the game hasn't been played yet, and therefore I don't have enough evidence about who's going to win the big game next week. Um, The day after the game, you will know who won the big game. You will have the evidence. You can look it up in the paper. You actually saw the game. Moreover, you know what it means to win the big game. This is not a complex concept. It's very intelligible. Supposing I ask you a different question. Supposing I ask you not who's going to win the game next week. Supposing I ask you who's going to flabo the game next week. And you say, um, I don't know what you mean by flabo. To which I respond, I don't mean anything by flabo. It's just a sound that I just made up. It sounds like a word, but it's not a word. It has no connotation. It has no denotation. It's just a nonsense noise that I invented. And I ask you the question, who's going to flabo the game next week? To which you respond, well, you're not asking me an intelligible question at all. It doesn't make any sense. I can't I can't answer it. It's not that I don't have enough knowledge. I don't even know what you're talking about. The agnostic Mm. um, is um, arguing for epistemological limitations, limitations on what we can know. Um, And that's not my position. My position is there is nothing to know. The question is an unintelligible question. Again, there's no concept that's being invoked. It's like Flabo, literally like Flabo, and therefore um, there's no possibility of imagining what it would be to know the answer to the question whether God exists because there is no such concept. If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is Peter Steinberger. He's the author of The Problem with God, Why Atheists... True believers and even agnostics must uh, all be wrong. So uh, are you saying that because we think in terms of cause and effect, because there's no other way we can think, we hit our limits in terms of the origin of existence, like the the universe needs a first cause, whether we call it God or, or Babadook or whatever, but it's impossible because there must be something before every first. Right. And, okay. and, and that is incoherent, which you've just described as incoherent. So in effect, it's okay. a really difficult problem because in a certain yeah. sense, we must believe that something caused everything and we must not believe that something caused everything. So it's impossible to imagine the world um, that wasn't caused by something and it's impossible to imagine that there was a first cause. And so we are literally stuck and that's called the human condition. That's the limitations of human cognition. And there's... Um, to my knowledge, no way around that. Okay, so it's it's really a, a problem, so to speak, with the way our brains yes. work yes. and how yes. we conceive of reality. Yes. Okay. So the challenge to you and the challenge to mm-hmm. listeners and the challenge to my readers is to show me that I'm wrong and give me an account that um, gets around this. Um, to my knowledge, in the history of human cognition, there is no such account. Uh, I don't think it's possible for us to imagine such an account, and I'm happy to be proved wrong about it. I don't think I am, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, now, polls seem to consistently say that a high percentage, uh, 90% perhaps, of Americans believe in God, uh, whatever they mean by that. The concept of God's being and will has certainly had a long life. Uh, God, uh, in God's many manifestations, has served to uh, 
function, whether to be a comfort or an excuse to go to war or hope of an afterlife or to provide clergy their salaries or, or whatever, uh, fend off the void. So has the whole question kind of been a, a mistake then in logical thinking? Has the entire edifice been misdirected? It's a mistake in logical thinking, yes, absolutely. Um, presumably there are reasons for this. Um, I'm going to disappoint you now when I say um, as little expertise as I have with respect to the concept of God, I have even less with respect to the sociology and the psychology of religious belief. I don't know why we've done that. One can imagine the world is scary. Uh, we want to have explanations. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, death is a terrifying thing for many people. Um, we invent things to explain um, uh, how the world has come to be the way it is, but that doesn't mean those explanations are coherent. So in lots of areas of life, we seize upon ideas and notions that really don't make any sense because they maybe do some, do some, some, give us some benefit. And I have no opinion about that, okay? So okay. I'm, I'm not writing about religion, for example. Um, if religious institutions make people feel good and it's good to make people feel good or give them some solace, I have no view about that one way or the other. Um, this is a philosophical argument. It's pop philosophy, but it's philosophy, and philosophically, I believe there is no such concept there. So the whole edifice is built on sand. Yeah. So um, throughout the book, um, I'm forgetting the phrase that you use, but you, you kind of invite the readers to get to what they really think. I mean, yeah. we say you use the example of, of the guy, uh, your friend who wants the thinks the Mariners are going to win, and he says he thinks the Mariners are going to win, the, the pennant or whatever, but he knows that that isn't really true, yeah. but he doesn't say it. That somehow one of our uh, challenges and the benefits of philosophers is to help us really get to be honest with ourselves? Well, that's what I think philosophy is. That's perhaps a controversial view. Um, I'm not alone in holding this view, but my sense is that philosophy is a matter of um, human beings thinking seriously about their own thoughts and getting clear about what the logic of their own underlying presuppositions and commitments are. Okay. Um, let me see if I can give you an example. Um, uh, before Leibniz and Newton independently discovered the fundamental theorem of the calculus, uh, my own view is that the fundamental theorem of the calculus was true. It was out. It was true. It was a part of the world. It was mm-hmm. part of our conceptual apparatus. What Newton and Leibniz did, arguably, is they took the various truths that we had, deduced from all of those beliefs that mathematicians had, the right answer regarding the fundamental theorem of, theorem of the calculus. So they didn't invent it. They discovered it. They discovered the logic. In the logic of our own mathematical thinking, um, emerged, they deduced the what we call the calculus today. And I think that's what philosophy in general does. Um, it, it looks at the, the, um, the intuitions and the beliefs and the commitments, the presuppositions, uh, the prejudgments, the uh, premises that inform your life and say, given those, okay, um, what, is the, what ought you logically to believe, believe about this, that, or the other thing, including about God? And so my view is, given what we think about the world, given our intuitions, given the way we live our lives, given our um, rock-solid beliefs, um, we have to conclude that there is no such concept of God. No such kind. And so scientists can't really help either, right, <laughs> in terms of, of the origin of existence. No, absolutely not. So that um, speaks to the conclusion of my book. Yeah. Uh, and the conclusion of my book is that um, uh, scientists, just like um, theists, uh, operate in terms of cause and effect. When a scientist 
posits an initial cause, like a big bang, that's also incoherent. Where did the big bang come from? What banged? Oh, and they posit the existence of a primary um, piece of matter. Um, Higgs particle and so on. Well, that's fine. I have no problem with that. I'm not a scientist, but then I'm still inclined to ask, okay, where did Higgs particle come from? What caused that? Um, the logic of science also cannot get at the idea of, um, cannot reconcile the idea of the need for a first cause and the impossibility of a first cause. I love science. I have enormous respect for science, but science also is bound by the human logic of cause and effect, and I can't imagine any possible way in which scientists truly could explain the origins of things. Okay. What that means is, notice what that means. Yeah. It means that um, the world exists you can't deny that. We're here. Okay. Okay. I'm talking to you. Okay. Uh, I got a microphone in front of me. I'm looking at it. Right. These things exist. Okay. Uh -huh. um, it is impossible for the religious thinker or for the scientist or for anyone else ultimately to explain where all this came from. It is not within the purview of human cognition to give a coherent account of this. Um, and that is, I think, a permanent, unavoidable fact. And yet, we're here. So something must explain it. And um, having said that, uh, my view is you cannot say anything else. Yeah, because something, when you say something, that's you're into the things again. And, and I, I, you know, I have a whole riff yeah, on this at the end right. of my book. Um, we have to stop talking. Okay? But um, in the back of my mind, part of my epiphany is um, all of this is fine, but there must be, and now in scare quotes, something else, something that is um, so um, foreign to human modes of thinking, to human cognition, so different, so so unintelligible um, that we can't even say something must exist because that presupposes cause and effect and all of that kind of stuff. But the point of the matter is um, the world is here, the world exists, and there must be an account. Well, I can't use that word. There must be an explanation. Well, I can't use that word. There mm -hmm. must be something. I can't use that word. But this cannot be all there is. And I think that's not an article of faith. I think that is a logical fact. And, and I think I've proven it. So because uh, the, the universe is, and we can't get to the origin because of our thought processes that it's probably evolved, that we, mm -hmm. we evolved in terms of seeing, we make a a plan on we don't see the world as it is we understand it and cause and effect apparently i don't know maybe helped us survive evolutionary Probably. array or something like that sure but so we could perhaps imagine that there might be other beings in the world that have another way of thinking but we can't even think it can you we can't even imagine that yeah and yet you can't rule it out right okay so and so um having said that mm -hmm. there's nothing literally nothing more to be said okay and the last thing you want to say is god okay call that god cuz some people might run right in there and say well there you go there's the hole for god yeah well i don't think that's going to work for the reasons that i've said yeah because then you've got an object again and you've got an object you've got an unmoved mover and where did that come from all right but you say this is good news in the end. For that reason, yeah, this is not all there is. I mean, if this is all there is, if all it is is kind of cause and effect, then where's the meaning? Where's the where you know? The, I I just die and I dissolve into into uh, into chemicals and that kind of thing, and uh, I have no idea what the other thing is. Again, I'm using words that I shouldn't be using. The other thing, uh -huh. um, its existence, and so on. Um, all I want to say is that uh, um, we are. How can I put this? Uh, many people are um, uh, fearful of the fact that it seems that this world of cause and effect 
um, gets us in this kind of hole where the life looks kind of meaningless and so on, um, and uh, finite and mm-hmm. and um, without any kind of purpose. To which um, my response is, well, I and I can't say what the purpose is. I can't say that there's any meaning. All I can say is. Um, this this uh, little world in which we operate, uh, um, this cannot be all there is because um, our mind can't wrap ourselves around even the possibility of something else, but there must be something else. And having said that, something else, I'm even um, misspeaking by talking about something. Yeah. Okay. It's beyond our whatever it. You can't almost, you can't, you, language just trumps us up. Language trumps us up. And language and cognition, language and thought are two sides of the very same coin. Uh, my view is there really are no thoughts without language. There are no, there's no language mm. without thoughts. So um, to say that language doesn't get us there is right, uh, but that's just a symptom of the fact that thought cannot get us there. And by the way, one implication of this is we ought to stop thinking about it. We ought to stop thinking about it because there's no way to think about it. So just enjoy. So maybe all of these arguments about God, we could just kind of say, well, there we go. They've happened, and now let's move on to other things. I think that's what we need to do. Okay. Now, you um, say you kind of invented the term aproleptic. 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 So uh, are you Again, I'm not sure I invented it, but I came up with it on my own, and I haven't seen it elsewhere. But it's just a a slogan. Well, now, people have—others have had this epiphany before you. Yes. Um, uh, Now— I was well aware when I wrote this up that um, this is an old, old topic. People have been okay. thinking about God, whatever that means, for thousands of years. So um, I'm a firm believer. I'm, a, I'm enough of a student of the history of thought to believe that, in a certain sense, there's nothing really new under the sun. So I presume that somebody else had thought this up. In fact, um, it's only after the book was published that a reader pointed me to a source, and that source is... Um, a great book from the 19th century by Herbert Spencer, the founder, alleged founder of social Darwin. Kind of the bad guy. The, we think. He, now we think of him a bad guy, and he's not much read anymore. And people don't pay attention to him anymore. In fact, mm-hmm. he was a very, very important social theorist in the 19th century. Um, and he's pretty much got the idea, pretty much the way I have the idea. So there is nothing new under the sun. Um, I promise I didn't steal it from him. I came up with this on my own. Um, and so when I found this passage... Um, on the one hand, I'm deeply disappointed. Not my, what um, wasn't original with me. I didn't invent this. Somebody else thought of this. So yeah. that burst my bubble. On the other hand, it's very, very encouraging because a brilliant guy like Herbert Spencer came up with the idea and I came up with it on my own. So there's some kind of notion that maybe it's not a crazy idea. Other earlier philosophers kind of were close, right? You, you talk about Plato, who's yeah, somewhat close. Plato, somewhat close, somewhat close, uh, not close enough. Not close enough. Yeah. Okay. Plato's got this idea of the good, the sun is his is yeah. his metaphor, and it's something. Think about the sun. We know it's there, but we can't look at it. Uh, if you look at it, you go blind. Uh, and so he's he's kind of playing around with an idea along those lines, but he doesn't really get at it the way Herbert Spencer did and the way Peter Steinberger did in the <laughs> 21st century. All right. So uh, just about a minute left. Uh, what would you like people to get most out of your book, The Problem with God? I guess there's three things by way of repeating myself. The mm-hmm. first is that, um, well, what they get out of it, I'd like them to think about the possibility that really the notion of God is conceptually impossible, that it is coherent. Um, and if I'm wrong, I'd like to hear that I'm wrong. Okay. Uh, okay. The second thing is the book does embody um, a notion of what it means to think philosophically. My view is that everybody 
is a philosopher. Literally everybody's a philosopher. And I don't mean anything particularly fancy or new agey about that. I think part of what we do in normal life is to try to get our thoughts coherent, try to say, what do I really think um, about this given the other thoughts that I have? Uh, and so um, I, I um, propose that my book is an embodiment, a kind of accessible embodiment of a certain kind of philosophical methodology. Um, and the final thing is uh, this notion that um, this cannot be all there is um, and that um, there must be something else, again, quotes around something else, and we ought to just stop thinking about it and um, let it be. I am going to ask you one more question. Um, By the way. Oh, the... Uh, People have talked about God a lot in terms of God wanting to do this or that, the the will of God. Is that also kind of incoherent to— I don't even know what you're talking about. No, you know what you're talking about. So I, people, it's like the God's doing this for, for wherever they are, from Krishna to Yahweh. I don't even know what that refers to. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah. uh, that's that's yeah. my ready response to all of these kinds of things. And <laughs> yeah. um, the response is easily defeated if you can give me an account of something that, um, in effect, must exist and cannot exist, a first mover that must exist because something must have caused everything, um, and that cannot exist because something must have caused that. So if you can give me an answer to that question, then we can entertain all those other propositions. Well, there you go, folks. There's a challenge to you by Peter Steinberger, author of The Problem with God, Why Atheists, True Believers, and even agnostics must all be wrong. Uh, Dr. Steinberger, thank you for being with me today on Religion for Life. Thanks so much for the conversation. It was my pleasure. Find a podcast of this program and other shows at religionforlife.com. I'm John Shuck from KBOO Portland. Be well.